Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boston Cage Podcast. On today's show, I have one of my old school classmates from college that's a like solopreneur, entrepreneur. And the funny thing is that he just had like a whole episode on his podcast talking about the differences between entrepreneur and solopreneur. But without further ado, man, Javon, introduce yourself to everyone. What's up, everybody? I'm glad to be on the show. Thanks, Chanel, for having me. I'm Javon Ingram. Um, you, you know. We go way back from from college days. Now, you know, we're both entrepreneurs. I have a few businesses, which is uh, Pros Commercial Accessories, which is a construction accessories company. And I recently followed in your footsteps a little bit and started my Observe Network. Cool, cool. So let's let's, let's, let's go back a little bit. So, I mean, originally... You were in, we were in college together for graphic design. Like, so that was like your first jump off <laughs> degree. So yes. let's talk about, so how, how, how did you go from being a graphic designer to doing pro installations to, to, to creating the um, Observe Network? Oh, wow. It was a crazy, crazy ride. And it actually has to do a lot of when we were in college and some of the things that were promised to us that I never received. When we went to, when we started at school, you know, and I got in there and I spoke to a counselor. They said, yeah, we, we have a 90, was it a 92% placement rate out, straight out of college. <laughs> and Bingo, right? Me being a sucker I was, I totally believed it, you know. And and then, you know, we worked in to get out of school and they say, congratulations, Javon, we finally got you a job. I'm like, okay, great. What advertising agency am I starting with? Hmm. They said, no, it's going to be at Kinko's for $12 an hour. <laughs> I said, wait, wait, what? Now I'm in debt to you <laughs> for all this money. You prom- you said you'd get me a job, but I was thinking something, you know, uh, entry level, but a little higher up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they were like, nope, you're going to have to start here. So around that time, things start to dwindle off. And I had a mentor, uh, another entrepreneur that was like, you know what? Until you find a job into what you're doing, come work with me in the window treatment business. Mm. I was like, okay, great. He's like, well, I'll be doing installing window treatment. I was like, well, I've never installed a window treatment before. He's like, well, it's time to learn. At that time, I I was making about $30 for installing an entire house. (laughs) I tell tell some of my employees that now that are starting and they crack up laughing, saying they would never work for that type of money. But the thing was the value of the information. If I didn't take that job then, I wouldn't have the business that I have now. Hmm. Because I didn't know anything about the field. I was introduced to it and I was willing to extend myself a little bit, you know, use me, but don't abuse me. Let me make sure I get something out of the deal. So that knowledge was worth all the money in the world. So then I started doing the installations at that time, the web business had dwindled off for me because, and the graphic design was dwindled off for me because I wasn't getting into the agencies in in which I wanted to get into. Mm. And as far as the business goes, I was still getting my feet wet in business and I was struggling reaching my audience, the audience that I wanted to, the top dollar audience that would pay. I was getting more of clientele that was like, well, 
I can get it online. You know, I can do it. I'm, I'm going to try it myself. Mm. Your DIYers. And uh, establishing the value of it and differentiating the two when so many things were coming out at the time, you know, at that time, they were starting to give everything away. Hosting companies were starting to give away websites. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were outsourcing it and doing things. And, and graphic design went corporate in a sense. And you get what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, more than anybody else, I get it. Because I'm in that space. <laughs> so, yeah, I de- it's funny that, funny that you bring that up because I remember when you were going through that, like, that transition. And like the funny thing is like all your clients, you started like sending them to me. It was like, okay, I'm, like, I'm not saying you were tired of them, but you were just like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. Pass them over to Cerebral. Yeah, I, 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 it became a point where I gave up. <laughs> I gave up. I, I think it was, it was really me more than anything else. I wanted to change. I feel like I didn't get what I wanted to get out of the graphic design and uh, some of the things I was doing. It wasn't panning out the way I wanted to. So I, I, I did an assessment. I like to assess myself every three to four years, like fully assess myself. And um, it wasn't going the way I wanted to. And at first I was bummed about it. I was really bummed, but then I learned how to fail hmm. with lessons. You get what I'm saying? With yeah. the lessons that you, you, you get from. And the business, the business acumen grew in that space because actually when things was really rough for me, I would actually, my car broke down. <laughs> I would walk five miles in each direction talking to every business about graphic design and what I can do from what I can offer their business as social media was progressing at that time as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it worked. It worked for quite some time. But it taught me, of course, sales. It taught me how taught me soft skills, how to eliminate objections when it comes to sales. So it opened an entire new spectrum for me. So when I stepped into the window treatment fully for myself, I was ready to go because window treatments, when I first started, I didn't start commercially. I started residentially. So that's in-home sales. So your likability has to be all the way up. People have to really like you because there'll be somebody who can beat your price, but if they can't match how someone feels about you when you step out of their door, mm. that sale is yours. Yeah, I, I can definitely, I can definitely see that because I remember back in college, you know, the environment that we kind of grew up in, we, we, you kind of like, we tell it how it is. So imagine yeah, exactly. you're in a classroom and you're hearing like teachers saying certain things. And I remember used to get into like arguments with teachers all the time. It was, it was funny because I was in a room with you. And, and like, I remember it was like doing portfolio and you was talking about like a logo and you guys were going at it. So to, to hear that you've took, you took like less of a defense and you went to more offense and then you've, you've tailored it to where now you could deliver the package and sell it without having to go head to head with somebody is definitely an interesting journey. And it's a skill that I had to learn because uh, coming from New York and I come from a West Indian background. And if anybody knows the West Indian background, everything is extremely direct. Direct. So it's not, I can't say I learned soft skills at home, mm. but I got learned, I learned it from getting knocked around in business. And like you said, in before I would go head to head and it, sometimes it was abrasive and, and unnecessary. I needed to learn how to balance what I'm saying, do you want to be right or do you want to get the W? <laughs> you know what I mean? Do you want to do you do you want a resolution or you just want to be right? Yeah. So I had yeah. to get rid of that. I'm right to to learn well the customer's right 
or I can see another perspective. And being in the business field and needing to get on, on the same page with my customer created another mindset for me. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up because I, I thought about that the other day. Like yeah. I was a little stubborn in school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, for real, it, it, it was like it was like it was jailhouse rules. It was like you were shanking teachers, man. It was it was definitely it was a hilarious time, man. But uh, to, to see you grow out of that is definitely a, a blessing as well. So I mean, just, just yes. going back into that topic, right? So what's the worst experience you had? You said you was beating the street, walking five miles. So I mean, you're coming in cold turkey. Like you're coming into someone's business. They're thinking you're probably going to buy something, and then you're like, no, I'm not buying something. I'm trying to sell you something. What's the worst experience you've had knocking on doors like that? Well, it was when my car had broke down and um, I needed, I still needed to get out there and where I was living, the bus schedule, it didn't make sense to really get on a bus because I have to get off every stop to stop at the next shopping center or business avenue, you know, area. So I would get to walking. Uh, the worst experience I had, well, the most embarrassing anyway, is I was walking down the street and you know it's a busy street so all the business owners are driving past me as i'm walking mm -hmm. <laughs> to their establishment and i walked into this one lady it was an insurance company and she said well um she was very honest with me she said you're sweating <laughs> <laughs> i said yes ma'am I, I actually walked here i actually walked here and she was like yeah we, we saw you on the road you know, the guy with a full with a full three piece suit on <laughs> and a laptop walking this far on this road because it was it was kind of like an industrial area. And, you know, that's usually a little bit away from everyone. Yeah. So it was a long walk. And she said to me, well, if you don't have a vehicle, if you don't and you have to walk here, you look a little sketchy. Mm. I'm like, well, man, my, my car broke down. This is one of the reasons why I'm walking here. Etc. So I went into this whole speech. She liked what I had to say, but she was messing with me a little bit. So she's like, all right, come back for the check tomorrow. But if you don't get here by nine o'clock, the deal is off. That's real. I walked into the building at 9.04. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, yeah. now at this time, I know I'm late. So, you know, I was running. Right. Yeah. And I messed up my good shoes and mm. I'm there and I'm now I'm in there. I made it. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to tell her I'm sorry. It's not a four. I don't think she's going to think it's a big deal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. She said, let this be a lesson to you, you young man. Deadline to deadlines. I'm not doing it. Mm. And really? I walked out of there devastated. Mm. First, yeah, I was I mean angry <laughs> at her as a natural response. Like, oh, it's only four minutes. Uh, 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 uh. But by the time that long walk home, I was like, you know what? That's my fault. I yeah. committed to a time and a schedule. No, no matter my personal situation, you have to honor your commitments. And what I learned that day, the kick in the pants she gave me that day, I've, I've kept to it and it's helped me be to become more successful in the businesses that I do. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a Did hell this? of a, a story, man. That's a hell of a story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And even in that time, I got one little other story. Hmm. I discovered the power of me. Hmm. And what I mean by that is, I thought I could do business. I thought I can, you know, you little cocky, you coming out. I thought I knew something. You know what I mean? But life was kicking me in the pants. And I didn't come from entrepreneurs. Everybody was saying, man, just go get 
a job with some benefits. Hmm. But I was like, no, I don't want that. Hmm. And, and everybody's looking at me like, what, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I, I what's wrong with you? <laughs> go that way. I, I, I can do this. And it became a struggle where even talking to certain people, they look like, they're like, all right, once he, once he fails, he'll come to reality. Family members too. Like, you know, like once, what, let's let him drown a little bit. Mm. <laughs> you know, let the water get in his nose. Once the water gets in his nose, he can come here. I can, I, I can get him started the next job at the bank or wherever. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. So I was defiant. Like you, like you said, I was, I was defiant. I was like, this is going to work. Now, everything was going wrong for me. The, uh, like I told you, the car went out. I had a, a, a part-time job that went away. I was doing taxes for, I think it was H&R Block. Mm-hmm. And um, that went away. And the struggle was just, it was just crazy. And I was at my last. My rent was due. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is maybe 20 years ago. The, my rent was due. Nothing was working for me. And I said to myself, man, in three days, I'm not only carless, I'm homeless. <laughs> what am I going to do? I said, you know what? This has to work. I'm not coming home today without $1,500. Hmm. I'm not coming home if I don't get it. And I said that to myself. So I put my laptop on my back, started walking another five-mile day. And I was discouraged at first, but the more I started to walk and the more I got into my, this is going to work. I'm going to make this work. I'm going to make this work. I looked at a, a business. It was a, a, um, a child play center, but the inflatables, the, the slides and all that kind of stuff. I said, this is perfect. I'm not going to leave here until I at least get $1,200 from this person hmm. that owns this company. No meeting, no, no, I just walked right in there cold. And I spoke to them, resonated, what I said resonated with them. I showed them what can be achieved and they went with it. I walked out of there with exactly what I said I was going to walk out of there with. Hmm. And I looked at the check and I, I literally trembled a little bit. I was like, wow, Hmm. do you mean I could speak what's happening in my life into existence? So if I could do this one time, I can keep doing this. Oh, damn right. I can keep speaking into my life and keep pushing forward and changing my reality. <laughs> I think that's when I learned there's no fate but what we make. Yeah, we have to make right. it for ourselves. It's funny that you bring that up because, I mean, in, in the past couple episodes, uh, like you're like maybe the third or fourth person that's kind of indirectly brought up like the secret or or the laws of attraction. And, and I think a lot of people think it, it's... BS, but the reality is, is that it's real if you apply the actions. You applied the actions. You stepped out. You walked out. You got denied. You came back. You walked another damn five miles. In that five mile journey, you were like focusing on the results, not focusing on what happened the day before. So when you got in there, your confidence level was through the damn roof. Your delivery was probably flawless. You probably wasn't sweating. You see what I'm saying? And then you, you, you gave them the results that they probably were looking for, but they didn't know how to find it. And then you walked out with a damn $1,200 check, exactly what you were going in thinking about. So, I mean, that, that, that commends to kind of where you were to where you are right now. So in, in, in this journey, right, um, 
like, like, what is your business structures like? I mean, are you more of an LLC, an S corp, a C corp? How is your because you got multiple businesses? How are they structured? Correct. Now, that's another thing that I had to learn that there's three phases to to money, and mm-hmm. and that was that that was a big thing for me. And I got it through, you know, l- listening to people online. There is earning money. Mm-hmm. There's multiplying money. And there's protecting money. So what I had to learn is your business structure is what protects your money. It's one of the biggest protectors of the money that you bring in. So initially I was an LLC and I was doing, uh, I was attaching to my personal, uh, uh, my personal information. Mm-hmm. And then I had to learn that's not the best way to do it. The business has to be independent of you. So my business journey has been trial and error and kind of learning on the fly. And then I started to learn about holding companies, S-Corps, putting things uh, together under one umbrella, especially when you have multiple businesses, it's the best bet. So what I started to do was develop a holding company and put the businesses under those and keep myself as the chairman of the holding company. And I actually work in the businesses as well. So it's basically under one umbrella that branches out into different aspects of business. And it allows me to kind of synergize them and they can work together and make money together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's definitely some insightful information. I think a lot of people think it's just okay to start with an LLC. And it is. It's, I'm not saying I'm not not. I, I'd rather have an LLC than have nothing at all. At least you get some, nothing some, at all. Correct. Yeah, at least you get a little bit. But once you understand how to move money and manipulate money between S corps, C corps, and LLCs, and having umbrella companies and holding companies, the structures are completely different. And and, and that's why like the billionaires are the billionaires because they structure it and they move money around, so they beat taxes at different times of the year. And just people understanding that philosophy. Once you get on that journey, you got to structure your things correctly. So, um, correct. And see when that journey started for me. Um, I didn't, I didn't know all these things, the the people, the business level, my business network level was get you an LLC. That's where you start. And that's Mm -hmm. what everybody was telling me. And then I had to go ahead and file separate paperwork to get higher up and start doing the S corp. Of course, when the money became enough for me to put myself on salary, Mm because at first I was just co-mingling funds left and right, left and right, left and right. And then having a right tax account and tell you, Hey, you're going to have to separate these things so that you can get, you can have your business more structured and then learning of course about business credit and personal credit mm-hmm. and the difference between the two and how it's not wise to exhaust your personal credit. Like you could, you can't use it the same way just because of utilization. Mm-hmm. When you have business credit, your usual utilization doesn't really matter as much, but of mm-hmm. course, cause you're expected to use your business credit. You're expected mm-hmm. to utilize it. When it comes to personal credit, it's the exact opposite. The more utilization, the worse your numbers become. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just a learning game for me and putting all the different pieces together. So in, in, with all these different pieces, I mean, what systems do you have in place to manage and juggle all these different things? I have become very disciplined on my time. Time management is pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. Because when you, when you don't manage your time, so many things get left off. And I don't have a big staff. I have, there's, there's a few people that work with me. I try to delegate some things. But 
I still like a little bit of control, I'm going to be honest, of what's happening and the product that's being delivered to the customer. Hmm. So what I do is I discipline myself. I work on this for three hours. I might work on this for three hours. I might work on this for two hours and juggle in between the two. Sometimes I move the schedule around. But right now I have about three businesses and I like to plan what I do in those businesses, honestly, two years in advance. Some of the things that are coming out now that I'm doing, I've been thinking about for quite some time and researching and formulating an idea of how to put it together. So management of time is pretty much the most important thing that I do. Cool, cool. So let's define your, your three business structures, right? So, I mean, you have the installations, right? That's one. The other one now is the new Observe Network. And so what, what's your, your third business model? Well, it's actually, it's actually broken into three. So Blindshade LLC is a re residential window treatment commercial, uh, residential and commercial company. So basically... That was the first business that I started with, but it's mainly for residential and it only handles window treatments. But as I got, as I advanced in the window treatment business, I noticed that there were a, a, a broad spectrum of other things that I can get into in the commercial aspect of window treatments and accessories. Hmm. So what I did was I started Pro's Commercial Accessories that actually handles installation and furnishing of other items such as ADA grab bars for, you know, for your people in wheelchairs, the bathroom accessories, the bathroom partitions. We hang up huge projection screens. So the little things that you would go into a hospital or, or an office space and use but don't think much of is what my company stepped into as an expansion from Blind Shade LLC. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, it and makes then of sense. Course, yeah. Because there was so much so many other things other than window treatment. So I was looking to expand the business because the window treatment uh, lane is very competitive and we're all getting pretty much the same price for the product. Wow. So because we're getting that, it's your branding, your sales is what sells the product or puts you ahead of everyone else. But if you can add additional pieces to that or you can handle, you can become a one-stop shop for a lot of other things, especially in the commercial space, it works better for you. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I mean, the, the business savviness of understanding that, that that's a whole outside of what you were doing and being able to add it on. Because a lot of times people will add on additional services, but they won't do the research or they won't have the things to support it. And, and it's not usually associated. You know, if I'm selling cars, I'm not going to be selling snowboards, right? If I'm selling cars, I may sell tires. I may sell window tinting because they're all re relative to the one product. So for you to go into an office and say, hey, I'm going to do your blinds. And while we're already doing your blinds, uh, I see you remodeling your bathrooms or you're doing something else over here. We have the accessories to fill in. It's a win-win situation. So, yeah. So, and then just to dive a little bit more into like the Observe Network. So, I mean, you, you, was, you were saying that, you know, um, you were following my footsteps a little bit and you, you kind of took, took the, the bull by the horns and you created this network. So let's talk about like, what's this network really about and what platforms are you on and what kind of media are you going to be distributing? Well, yes, I definitely follow in your, your footsteps because you gave me the courage to do it. Like I already had these businesses going, mm -hmm. but this is something that, that always kind of called me. I, I love information. Mm -hmm. And I felt like one of the reasons why I started the Observe Network is because I am unhappy with the information I'm seeing. Mm -hmm. And it was actually uh, 2020 that snapped me into it and said, hey, 
you go ahead, go forward and give this thing a shot. Because information that's disseminated on the news, people are getting bad business advice. They're not getting appropriate data. It's getting skewed data or they're giving you one side of the picture and not giving you the entire market. Yes, the information is, is skewed or one-sided. I, I feel like everything is being politicized and weaponized. Mm. And they're using information as a, a tool to divide rather than to uplift. Mm. And I think, especially with entrepreneurs, information is vital. Information is so vital, especially small business owners. The information is vital. I mean, if you look at Warren Buffett, he says he makes his money off of the information that he gets. He has better information than everybody else. He analyzes that information and makes his decision based on that. But if we're getting doctored information or just a piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. we're at a, a tremendous disadvantage in the business market and competing with other people. Yeah. So that's what Observe Network is geared towards. Observe News, anyway, is, is giving people information and letting them make their own decision. I try not to interject my opinion too much. I kind of just give them the data. But sometimes that's hard not to do. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I think w- with that, I mean, I think, and, and I, was, I was definitely happy that you could, I remember you had called me a couple of times, you'd ask me some questions and I was like, okay, he, he's built. I was like, he's plotting, he's plotting. I'm like, it's coming, it's coming. And so then when you dropped it, I was like, okay, okay, I see him. So I was like, okay, let, let, let's, let's talk about like in that model, right? Like what's the next step for this network? Because I mean, you just started it, but like you said, you plan two years out. You're a big planning guy. So for right now, you're doing information, but what's the long-term goal and long-term vision of, of your network? Well, the long-term vision, I am uh, creating my own platform mm. and inviting others on it. I'm just the spare, the tip of the spare. Mm. Um, I am concerned about what's happening on platforms and people being deplatformed for the type of information that they're given. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed with stepping into this space, and this is one of the things I cover, I've cover, i been covering lately, is if you are an influencer or somebody who operates online and you use these free platforms, mm-hmm. your audience is not really yours. They're loaning it to you. Please. So it is imperative for uh, influencers and entrepreneurs that are in the digital space to funnel their uh, their subscribers, their customers to their actual websites and to their actual email or subscriber list. Because you can be deplatformed really easy. We saw it in the early 2000s when we were when everybody was doing the Google optimizations and then Google changed the panda. And people that spent years and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get to the front page of, 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 of Google. Mm-hmm dropped off and disappeared. The same thing is happening with a lot of these platforms. They are, you know, shadow banning people, deplatform, demonetizing uh, people. And they have the right to do that because those platforms are free to you. And, but they control how many people you reach. They control your, when new notifications come up. So I think it's imperative for people to have their own platform. So as far as, I'm going with Observe Network. I want to create a platform that people can subscribe to that is free and uncensored. So Observe News is the first part of it, but there'll be other shows as well with other uh, personalities as well on the show. And eventually 
my plan is to slowly pull off of the other platforms and have one standalone platform and invite other companies and entities to come on and be on the platform and have their own voice and have their own controlled subscribers. So you're talking about your own platform. Now, obviously, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, and on Hulu, Hulu has an opportunity for you to create your own channel on Hulu, right? So are you talking about more Correct. so you, using something that already has a few million people, or are you talking about creating your own version of Hulu or your own version of like Forbes? My own version, I would call it closer to, I can, I would call it closer to Hulu than Forbes. Okay. Sure. To where people can sign on, they have, I'll be on the platform. A lot of the shows that are connected to me will be on the platform. Mm -hmm. But I want to set up a system where people can have their own platform, their own app. It goes directly to them, their own funding. The framework itself is what they would be paying me for. But after they pay for the, the framework and the updates, that platform is theirs. The subscribers is theirs. It's, it's do as you will with, with it from there. And I feel like these other platforms, that's not the case. Hmm. So I want to be where no one can shadow ban you for something you say. The, the freedom of speech is there. You can say what you want, when you want, and let the market, let the people decide if what you're saying is truthful or not, or, or has any merit or not. Rather than big brother sitting in the office saying, oh, I don't want you to hear that. No, nope. hmm. we're going this way. I want you to go this way. And if you don't go this way, we're going to shut you down. That's definitely interesting. So on your journey, right? I mean, we talked about college a little bit. We, we talked about, you know, you growing up in New York. We always hear about the 20 years it takes someone to become successful, but it's always perceived to be something that happened overnight. How long have you been on your journey to success? I have been an entrepreneur for about 20 years now. <laughs> and I've been working and developing myself because, that's one of the main things that you have to do. I met an entrepreneur and the first thing he told me is going to be, he told me that, Javon, you are going to be one of the most talented, unsuccessful people I've ever met. Now, I'm trying to impress this guy, right? Because he has everything that I, I want. So he's like the poster. And he says to me, I see you, you, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, you do this. But you're a jack of all trades and the master of none. You do everything okay. You're gonna have to. You're gonna have to focus on one thing, develop it, and move to the next, and let the other thing feed off. You're gonna have to develop yourself hmm. before you can develop a business. You have to develop your character before you can develop a business. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's... you have to become an entrepreneur before you actually have an entrepreneur venture. Your mind has to be in that space. I mean, and, yeah, you, I and once you line everything up, it'll start to work for you. So once I, I kind of soaked that in, it, it helped me. Yeah, I mean, and it, it, he, he ain't lied. Forward ever since. He, he ain't lied at all. Lie. <laughs> he didn't lie at all, man. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what's one thing you would I'm want to do I'm glad for the honest people in my life. Definitely, definitely. So what's one thing you would want to do differently if you could do it all over again? If I could do it all over again, I would... If I could do it all over again... That's, 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 that's an interesting thing because if I change anything, then I'm not who I am and I like who I'm becoming. I like the trajectory I'm on. But if I could change anything, oh, you know what? I wouldn't change anything. 
The punches is what made me. Like I tell you, the harsh criticisms, the nose people kicking me out of their office, mm. it's what made me. So I can't say some of the some of the negative things that have happened have been the best things that ever happened to me because they mm. shaped me. Your victories don't really shape you. They make you feel good in the moment. Yep. But it's your failures that shape you and shape your mentality. Hmm. Like I gave you the story of um, when I went into that office um, to, to do the uh, website and I came out with that check and I discovered the power of me. I still do that to this day. I have a client of mine that I walked into. I had no appointment. Um, I heard about the company. I walked right in there. For the first three times I went, he didn't see me. I just sat in his office. I sat in his waiting area. And his secretary gave me an excuse. Until the fourth time that I went there, he was like, are you the AT&T guy? Still trying to sell me AT&T? I was like, no. <laughs> I have a commercial accessories company, that I, an installation company, and I want you know to do business with you. He was like, I thought you were the AT&T guy. That's the excuse he gave me. He brought me into the office, and then I spoke to him and told him what we can do and how we can work together. And I... He, he's been a, a, a viable source. That company is a large company. It's been a viable source of revenue for my company for years now. Hmm. So it's the determination and some of the failures. That lady kicking me out of the office, me going through through that other project, it pushed me into the person that I am. That to, to take no take no for an answer. Don't take no for an answer. So with your with your hustle that you've always had the hustle right i mean that's one of the things i think that you and i we've always had that commonality and that's why we've been friends as long as we have because it, you know it's always about who's in your circle and who's pushing you whether you talk to them every day or you don't talk to them every day but you see what they're doing and you're like you know that that's 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 fire you know what i'm saying it's fire under me to kind of yes. keep moving forward right so exactly so you come from an entrepreneurial family i mean that hustle has to come genetically from somewhere man like where did it come from you know, I get that all the time. Mm. Well, my family, my family, my, uh, uh, you know, I'm first born in, uh, in America. Uh, my mother and father are Jamaican. Mm. And I think some of that hustle comes from the island culture because, you know, they, they go at it. They always used to make these jokes about Jamaicans having 30 jobs. jobs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I think that that... I got that from, from them. And then my grandfather, my grandfather was a very disciplined man. And mm -hmm. my early years, I lived, my mother lived with, my, with her parents. Mm -hmm. And my, my grandfather was a person that after 6 a.m., there's no more sleeping in his house. That's laziness. He would tell me school was a luxury for him when he was coming up. He had to, by the time he was old enough to pick up a plow, he needed to farm in the mornings and then walk 10 miles to school. <laughs> that was a lot. That was his, that was his luxury to be able to go to school. Hmm. And I'm like, uh, grandpa, Pops, I, I don't even want, I don't even want to go to school. Half the time. <laughs> but he gave me a sense of discipline because he would make me sign my name over and over and over and over and over again. Hmm. He's like, Javon, I work at a bank. If I see a sloppy signature, I can tell whether this person is means what they say, if, if they'll keep their word. Your signature is everything. So he drilled me on certain things, and he created a, a, a level of discipline in in me early on. So, you, so you're telling it me it does come. 
So I'm thinking like, so your grandfather's going to look back and be like, only five miles. That's it. You walk a five miles while you sweating. He's looking at you. I walked 10 miles. Like that's he all would, you did was five. He would laugh at that story. He would say, that's it. <laughs> he's like, you know, he's an island accent. So he's like, you'd be like, boy, good for you. <laughs> that's funny, man. But, um, yeah. yeah. But as far as entrepreneurs, no, there's not a lot of entrepreneurs in my family, but they're very disciplined, hardworking people. And I think that that helps me boost boost my understanding of business. And I take the same approach. Yeah. So, I mean, that's another commonality that, that you and I share. I mean, obviously, I'm, my parents are from the islands as well. I'm from Trinidad. So, you know, in the island culture, it's family is pretty much everything. Not to say in, in the U.S. soil it's not, but that's just true. in the small islands, it's kind of like, you know, your aunts, your uncles, everybody is all in one unit to a certain extent. So how do you juggle your right. work life with your family life? Well, I think that's the, diff- that's the, the hardest part for me. Because <laughs> um, I get no, I don't see you as much anymore. A lot, a lot, but it takes a lot, a lot of hours and a lot of mm-hmm. isolation to be able to to think on the level that I have to to be able to achieve what I'm trying to achieve. So I isolate myself a lot, but as soon as I can, I call everybody and and try to it, it jump back in, and everybody's like, you know, where you been? But I, isolation has been good for me. Hmm. So you've been isolated to, to, to a point to where your family is saying that, hey, they're not seeing you anymore, right? Or you're um, also, yeah. you're, you're married as well. So what does your morning routines look like? So you tell me, I think you wake up pretty early. What's your habits every single morning? See, the good thing about being married, my wife was very disciplined as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, she, 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 she understands what I have to do. And she does it as well. She's, she's a, uh, a workout queen, as I call her. She likes to work out. She work out s- six days a week. She wakes up at five o'clock in the morning to go work out before she goes to work. So she lives a very disciplined life as well. So when she gets up, she inspires me to get up. <laughs> Even when I'm tired, when I hear that door slam, she's like, I'm going to the gym, babe. I get up and start my day from there. So I usually start my day from about six o'clock in the morning and I may work until seven or eight o'clock, sometimes even later. Hmm. But I try to balance it. We have our date nights, uh, you know, twice a week and we, 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 we worked it out. Now with another character of woman that didn't understand the vision that I have, it might've been a little bit more difficult, but like I said, she's a very successful and driven person herself. So she likes to hustle. I mean, it's, it's funny that you said because I mean, the chemistry of your, your other half is a dynamic factor to, to your success. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of times if you see somebody that's highly successful, they're kind of like, I always compare them to their, the Steve Jobs. But behind every Steve Jobs, there's a Wozniak somewhere, right? And the Woz is usually Correct. The, other, the other spouse, whether it's male or female, whether it's wife or husband, there is somebody else supporting that person that's in front of the camera. And if you don't have that right chemistry, you don't have that right support, like that's going to be part of your failure in the long run, whether you like it or not. Correct. <laughs> and see, my wife is a teller that is this type of person. Mm-hmm. And so that's always been beneficial to me as well, because I'm a person, I'm a go-getter. I- I'll keep going. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? 
Oh yeah, no doubt. And then sometimes she's like, whoa, you need to just rethink this thing. Hmm. Stop beating your head against this wall. You need to go around the wall. Like, you know, sometimes we need to stop when there's resistance. I hear people say, never quit, never get up, never give up. But sometimes you need to quit and then you need to learn when to revisit. You get what I'm saying? Sometimes yeah. you need to stop because your approach is wrong. Sometimes you need to look another way. But if you're so busy in the fight, Mike Tyson said it, everybody get a, get, has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> real. Everybody has a strategy. That's definitely real. Exactly. And what makes a good fighter is the ability to think and adjust while you're taking those punches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to be under the pressure. So, so she helps me to... Yeah, exactly. So she helps you, me to take those punches and tells me, yeah, you need to turn this way. So in addition to, to your morning routines, um, I've been on this podcast for a period of time and I've asked people what books are they reading. So by doing that, I decided to create a book club. So this year, you know, obviously the book club is launching. So I'm going to ask you, what books have helped you to get to where you are and what books would you recommend and what books are you currently reading right now? You know what? I don't have a whole lot of time to read. So what mm-hmm. I do is audiobooks. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of audiobooks. I might be do maybe eight a month with audiobooks. I have the audio subscription. So when mm-hmm. I'm driving or there's any downtime, I like to feed my mind with good information. Mm-hmm. I've had a variety of books. The Richest Man in Babylon was a really good one for, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if you've heard of that one. Oh, yeah. It's um, in my collection. I like all of Robert Greene's books. Exactly. I like Robert Greene's books, um, The 48 Laws of Power. It's okay. But I really like the mastery book Mm. about humility and learning from other people and staying in your lane and understanding your lane and growing from there. So I like mastery, the laws of attraction, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked uh, the five second rule about doing things that you don't want to do. But in the first five seconds, when your body rejects it, if you push forward, you can get over the hump. So those were some, some pretty big books for me. Yeah. So you, you brought up a couple of books that I mean, I, I've read every one of the books that, that you're talking about. And I think the 48 laws is, is one of those books that's like timeless. It's always synonymous with jail, right? It's always been some people in jail read the 48 laws. And then they take over the damn jail because they read the book. But have you read the, I think it's the 49th or the 50th law that um, 50 Cent co-wrote with Robert? Have you read that one? Correct. I'm on my third 50 Cent book. I like his books for some reason. They're, they're pretty good. 50 is definitely, um, he, he's, he's not grimy, but he's very in, in studious with his definitions and his characterizing of what should be done in business. So I definitely, to your point, I love 50 books as well. And, um, your fifth, your five second rule, like th- that book is one of the books that I've made recommendations for in the past, like 12 months repeatedly. Cause it just, it makes sense. Like you said with your wife, she wakes up at five o'clock. You may be hesitant to get up and then you count to five and you're like, well, shit, I got to get up. I got no choice, but to get up. And that five seconds is only five seconds of your waste. And after that, you're on the move. You're on the move. <laughs> exactly. And see, One of the things I like even bringing back to 50 Cent is mm-hmm. there's a level of viciousness that you have to have in business. If you don't have somewhat of a, a, of a predator mindset, what I mean by that is the strength and will to, uh, to capitalize on situations and push yourself forward, 
If you're passive in business, mm -hmm. you won't make it. So that's one of the reasons why I like him. But when you were saying about um, your, your discipline, yeah, the five-second rule, it has helped me a lot. Because mm -hmm. sometimes I don't want to do something, you don't feel like doing it. Your mind will make a million excuses because your body is in, is in self-preservation mode. So mm -hmm. anything that you deem taxing or or that will cause any type of pain, your body, your mind will create a scenario for you to reject it. And pushing past that barrier has helped me a lot, has helped me a lot. So I don't stop when I'm tired. I stop when I'm done. That's real. That's definitely real. So what do you see yourself in 20 years from now? In 20 years from now, um, I have a plan to retire, semi-retire anyway. Um, I don't see myself living in the U.S. at that time. I think I'll be bouncing back and forward to, from different countries. I've always wanted to live abroad. Mm -hmm. And I see the business, especially the media business, growing to a point where it's a national network and in, from there international. Hmm. So ah. that's my plan to, to grow the observed network to the point where it's a media conglomerate, a global media conglomerate. I know people don't like the word conglomerate anymore or big, <laughs> big business, but that's, the, it, that's one of the main things why people get in business. They want to grow. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, how far do you want to grow? As much as possible. That should be everyone's answer. Yeah, how strong yeah. do you want to get? As strong as possible. Yeah. How wealthy do you want to be? As wealthy, you know, as wealthy as I possibly can. Yeah. Well, in the time frame that you have I, to do I'm it. I'm leery right? of people saying that. Correct. I'm leery of people that oh, say, I just want to be comfortable. I, I always feel like comfort is where people go to die. <laughs> that's permanent comfort. That's just kind of the deathbed. It's the deathbed of your dreams, your aspirations, your growth. That's the deathbed right there. Because once you're comfortable, there's no, there's no dreams. There's no aspirations to push you forward. There's no fire. You're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, w w without fire, I mean, so, cells slow down. So without cells moving, technically you're still, if you're still, you're dead. So, I definitely understand that, man. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so comfort is not something I'm looking for. I'm looking for, I'm constantly putting myself and the businesses under new forms of pressure. Like I said, expanding with new products, stepping into new arenas, facing new challenges, and it helps me to continue to grow. If I say I'm addicted to anything, I would say I'm addicted to growth. That's very important to me, more than money or the, even the businesses in itself. The growth, hmm. the journey is what really makes you. Have you ever if you heard, don't do the journey and you get straight. Have you ever heard of the Jewish proverb Sorry. about the, the lobster? And the, the, so it's, it's a Jewish proverb that says it's lobsters only change their shells and grow into shells when they're under pressure. So as they begin to grow and they become under pressure is when they change cells. So he was like, think about growth the same way for, for, for people in general. If you're not under pressure, how are you going to grow? Much like a lobster, if the lobster doesn't feel any pressure, it will stay stagnant and it won't continue to grow and it won't change its shell to another shell. So it's the same thing with humans. If you don't feel pressure to a certain extent, if you don't have deadlines, if you don't have goals, you don't have things to achieve or something else to achieve, you, you become still water. And you know, stagnant water is like water you can't drink, but moving water you can, right? So just understand the differences between those things is something that, that you just brought to, to 
forth to the focal point that I think people need to listen to and adhere to. Yes, because it's very important to put yourself in difficult situations. Like even in my company, we take on projects that we've never done before. We let, mm -hmm. of course, we let people know that we've never done them before, but we instill confidence in our customers that we can handle the, the project. And then I, we go from there. And even in my personal life, I like to put pressure on myself to do you know different things mm -hmm. and try different ventures. I hear a lot of people say to me that, hey, you know, when you're working on certain things, keep it quiet. You know what I mean? Work, work in silence. I like that to a point, mm -hmm. but to be honest, I like to put it out there. I like to put dates out there. I'm going to do this at this time and let it be known. Now, if I fail, I fail. I take the embarrassment, yeah. but if you don't put it out there. In my opinion, if you don't set a goal for you to reach, because mm -hmm. I'm competitive, so I got to compete with myself. Yeah. All right. You said you're going to have this on Tuesday. It needs to be done by Tuesday. If you don't put that out there, if you're not willing to risk failing, you can't succeed. Yeah, you're definitely right. You're definitely right with that. So what apps or tools do you use in your business that you would not be able to do what you do without? There is a lot of estimating software that is extremely important to the commercial accessories uh, company. And there is, uh, like, uh, they're called PlantSwift, Bluebeam. There's a lot of apps that help us look at blueprints and be able to take measurements and dictate what's happening um, on a project or a new and upcoming project mm -hmm. very easily. Because if, if you've ever seen blueprints, like 60 pages and they're huge, yeah. and you have to be able to find what you need and be able to get the correct information from it very quickly. So that's one of the most important tools that we have is the estimating software for the commercial accessories company. And then we use other platforms to find the bids. That's another important aspect of it too, which would be something like Plan Hub, where you can go on there, you pay a subscription, and they actually find and put together all the bids that are happening in your area in a geographical in, in, in a geographical area. So you can put in 150 miles, 200 miles, and it'll let you know all the projects, who's running the projects, who are bidding on the projects and what they need from you. And it's a great way to get your reputation out there if you're in the commercial space for people to know that you exist. Because even if you don't get the bids, because they're going to they're gonna get three or four bidders on every project. But if you don't get the bid, they know about you next time and they'll send that information to you. Nice. So as far as the window treatment and the commercial accessories, those are the most valuable. So, But I mean, as far as... So I'm, I'm just look, I'm just thinking about like like something that you just said, right? So, and it's kind of on topic, off topic. So kind of like your networking, your networking group, your networker model. I would think that you would probably talk to builders, developers, real estate agents, interior designers. Is that pretty much like your core network of people that you're talking to to get these deals? Yes, you you've hit the nail on the head. Um, interior designers, real estate real estate people, brokers. Um, yes construction companies is where these deals come from. Because a lot of times in the commercial space, there's owners, then there's the general contractor, and then there is the subcontractors, which I would fall under. Mm -hmm. So you can't really get directly to the owners, but you can get, of course, to the next person in line, which would be the architect through the architectural firms. Um, the general contractor is the one who releases the bid 
because they are bidding directly to the owner. That's who actually gets the, the direct bids. The sub bids where I would fall under goes directly to the general contractor. And he will make the decision of which ones he used because he's also bidding for control of the project itself. Mm. So your general contractor is your project manager. And I submit my bid to the project manager. And then the project manager puts all the final number to get the whole thing together. He puts that together and then he submits it to the owner. And, it, and the, the owner will have multiple general contractors that it's trying to use. So everybody's bidding to get on this project. So, to, so one of the best ways. So it's funny that you just said it because I'm, I'm thinking visually in my head. So just to kind of okay, talking graphic design terminology, right? With you for a second here. So essentially, sure. the owner is the CEO, right? The contractor mm -hmm. is the is the creative director. You're the art director, and you're delegating to your graphic designers. Yeah, that's it. That's that's the hierarchy right there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, it actually applies to a lot of different types of businesses. Good you caught that. But that's the that's how it's done. And as far as a subcontractor, I would submit my bid to every project manager that's that's uh, bidding on the project. So when mm. it goes to the owner, I'm included in each bid. Hmm. Nice. But I'm not the only person doing that. I'm competing with everyone else in my space. But it's a great business, and I and I appreciate. The construction industry is very hardworking, very detailed, and we're building a lot in America now. So it's a good thing. Got it. Got it. So if I'm coming out of high school, right, and I'm graduating and I'm, and I'm in college or I'm graduating from college or maybe I'm 45, I'm 60 years old and I'm leaving corporate America, what words of wisdom would you give to me as an entrepreneur starting out? What, what, what things would you tell me? Um, first thing I would say is know your terrain because you're going to war. Know your terrain. We all are geniuses in areas. We all have pockets of intelligence. Mm -hmm. um, there are overall people with high IQs and there are people that have pockets of intelligence in certain areas. I think people should always start in those areas. I think that you start there and you branch out. Because your business acumen has to grow with your knowledge of your niche. So if you already have knowledge in a certain area and there's a market for it, go that way. And I would also tell people, stay away from misinformation. I think that follow your passion that everyone keeps saying is misinformation. I think you should follow your mind and bring your passion with you. You bring passion to what you're doing. You don't, you don't do because of your passion. And that is a recipe for failure. If you like, if you're passionate about, uh, what's it, origami art, that does not mean you need to start a business in it. The market has to be there for it. I've heard people, you know, I've talked to people, oh, yeah, I had a dream and that's why I started this. Or, you know, my cousin was doing it, so I decided to do it. Or, or you know, I hear a lot of different reasons why people start businesses or I just really like it, that's not enough. There has to be a market for it and you have to be able to adapt to what's happening. And you should start in something that you do know or you're familiar with or have a network with and build your business acumen. Because once your business acumen gets to a certain point, you can step into any other field. But if that business acumen is not where it needs to be, you don't understand business language. You don't have the ingredients to make 
a good cake. You just make a mess. Yeah. 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 I definitely appreciate that. I mean, and if you really think about what you just said in comparison to any successful, and I'm not talking about millionaire, I'm talking about like billionaire, damn near trillionaire success. Jeff Bezos is an example of that, right? He kind of started off selling books and now Amazon sells kitchen sinks, right? They sell damn near everything. And then, um, Elon Musk is the same thing. Elon Musk started off on kind of the financials and then he kind of went this route, then he's in cars and now he's going to Mars. So it's like, what the, <laughs> to your point, you have to understand business and how to sell this and how to raise the equity and everything else. So I, I definitely think what you just said was, was hella fruitful. Um, going into to the next question, I mean, how could people find you? Like what's, what's your, your, your web handles, your social media accounts, your, your URLs? Well, you can find, uh, me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Observe Network. Mm. At mm. Observe Network. Best place to find me. Right, you got a YouTube and, channel uh, as well, right? Email and a YouTube uh, channel as well. Observe Network. Cool. Cool. All right. So this is going into the, to the bonus round, right? So this is one of the questions that I was looking forward to hear what your answer was because I was like, I've known you, I've been around you for a long period of time, but I have no clue what the hell you're going to answer with, right? So if you could spend 24 hours with anybody, dead or alive, uninterrupted for 24 hours, who would it be and why? Oh, man, there's a few people. Um, Going to pick one, man. We both love Mark. <laughs> oh, man, that's hard. <laughs> who would I spend time with? Malcolm X. Hmm. <laughs> Malcolm X. I got to be honest, it would be Malcolm X. I still look at some of his old videos t- to this day and his delivery of what needed to be said and the way he can answer a question. Mm-hmm. And by answering your que- the question, expose your intent for asking the question. Because you have to remember what he was dealing with at the time, which is extreme racism. Mm-hmm. and a disrespect for the the, the black man's IQ. So mm-hmm. he, he would be asked targeted questions, questions that people thought would stump him. And you could actually see their face change in the interview when he was able to answer the question articulately and expose the intent behind what they were saying. So as far as a prolific speaker, I would have to say Malcolm X. It's funny that, that you brought but, you know, both of us are martial arts guys. So yeah. I was going to say Bruce Lee. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, Bruce is another. That's... Yeah, Bruce is a beast, too. It's funny that you brought up Malcolm because I, I recently was watching Netflix, um, A Night in Miami. So, you know, as I'm watching like these documentary style movies that, that are like really big now. Right. And I'm understanding that like there's Ali, there's Malcolm, there's Sam Cooke, and there's this Brown. And I'm like, okay, one, I didn't even realize that all four of them were interlocked like that. I've seen videos with Sam Cooke and Ali. I've seen videos with Ali and, and Malcolm, but I didn't know all four of them were like in a unit like that. So I started researching, like, let me just yes. look at like, what's their net worth looking like, right? Because you know, birds of a feather flock mm-hmm. together, right? So I'm looking at, at Jim. So Jim is like at 40 million right now. That's like, that's the total net worth. Then I'm looking at like, um, Ali, and I think Ali was like 80 million or something like that. And then I look at at Sam Cooke, and Sam Cooke is like, I have a whole newfound respect for Sam Cooke. Like that dude, if you really? don't know, if you get a chance, like 
you probably want to talk about this on your network. If you look at Sam Cooke, what he did back then, and he owned his record label, he understood the model of royalties. He had artists under his label that were complaining about they wrote a song, but they weren't getting airplay. So he was like, okay, well, you know what? Let's sell it to these rock bands. Let's sell it to these other groups because we know that they're going to get on the top of the charts. But if you as a writer, you're going to get royalties. So imagine getting royalties, royalties. of 10,000 versus 10 million. Well, this group of people are going to take it to 10 million versus your group is going to keep it to 10,000. So he facilitated carrying it into another genre to make it a top board top seller on the billboard charts to eat on the royalty. So his net worth when he when he passed away was like the equivalent of a hundred million dollars from like forever ago. Oh, and then wow. I, if you so yeah and then I look at in Malcolm and I'm like okay Malcolm is the anomaly in that equation. So you have three millionaires, right? I mean, it's talking about multi-millionaires, like $10 million is like where you should be if you're going to live off that forever, right? And then Malcolm, his net worth was 150000 I'm like, what the, f like, how is that even, like, so you brought him up. See, Go ahead, yeah, yeah. You, but you see, that's one of the things that was happening in that time. And I liked that time better than what we are doing now as far as protesting and and speaking about injustices mm -hmm. because at this point well back then the entertainers and the football stars and people that were making a certain amount of money would funnel money to malcolm x and martin luther king mm -hmm. that's how like even harry belafonte harry belafonte was beloved by everyone he wouldn't speak on social issues but he funded most of the movement. He, he, would, he would get that money and fund a lot of the different movements. And so did Jim Brown, Sam Cooke, and a lot of other people as well. What's happening now, I feel like a lot of misinformed entertainers are being pushed to the forefront to speak on things where we really need a Malcolm again. We really need a Martin again. You get what I'm saying? Someone who is focused on these things. Yeah, yeah, it definitely. I mean, I, I definitely agree with you with that. But it, it just blew my mind. It's like you know, the part of like wealth is to leave behind essential legacies for the next generation. Like you're building up wealth to continue to help next generation to take it and to inspire them to create their own next generations of wealth. And it just kind of blew my mind that, that three, or, three or four of these guys were multimillionaires, and one, and you know, obviously three or four of them have died. And the one, like you point, the one that was probably most influential for the cause or influential as far as rights was the one that had the least net worth, which was completely crazy. And see, that's one of the things that this generation will have to change where your speakers and your people that are frontlining certain issues mm -hmm. are not going to be going to be in positive light with the establishment. And let's mm -hmm. be honest, we get our money from the establishment. You understand what I'm saying? So if you're bucking the system, if you're having someone buck the system, you need to take care of them. Yeah. Yeah. They said uh, Martin Luther King died with five thousand dollars in his in, in his account. That's yeah. a shame. That's somebody yeah. who should be a hundred billion, whatever we could get, mm. he should be getting. Yeah, yeah, five thousand dollars. It's crazy, man. So, last question for you, right? What is, what is your most significant achievement to date? My most significant achievement to date. To be honest, I'm very proud of myself how I've been able to step into this podcasting arena because I've had no experience with it at all. 
My other companies, you know, of course, I told you I worked for someone for quite a bit of time. Mm-hmm. I developed myself in, in the, these industries and then just kind of slowly adapted small pieces, extra parts to it to build it up. This stepping into the podcasting and vlogging and the media side of things I've never been into before. What I'm doing now is strictly me paying attention to other people and analyzing the terrain and learning what needs to be done. So I'm, I'm a bit proud of myself for being able to stretch out outside of my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely commend you as well too, and I'm happy that you know I sent you that that Clubhouse invite and you signed up. So I'm thinking we should probably take this off podcast here and, and take it on Clubhouse whenever you get opportunity and just kind of mess in that space a little bit around. I think it'll be interesting to kind of hear you and I kind of go back at back and forth just about business, just about strategies on Clubhouse. So I look forward to continuing this podcast in that space. Um, in addition definitely. to the, yeah, so. I'm going to give you the microphone, right? This is what I usually do at the end of my podcast. I give the person I'm interviewing the microphone so you can ask me any question that may have come up during this journey of this podcast. Mike's yours. Oh. One of the main things I would want to ask you is you work as hard or as even harder than I do. How do you manage <laughs> your day? Because when I speak to you, you got a lot going on. <laughs> so... How do you manage your day-to-day? And I know you have a young son. How does that, how do you do everything? So, I mean, first of all, like to your point before, I used to do everything and everything is not what I needed to be doing. So now when, when, I, when you talk about doing everything, I'm doing everything with one purpose. So right now, I'm like my 100% effort, 100% of my focus is, is all into like the Boston Cage podcast and everything that's associated to it so i have a lot of systems I, like i'm a real big system guy and then also I, I, like my wife is a real big she's an analytical thinker right she's a treasurer of, of a, a software company so like when, like we're always working but we're always having these conversations about how could we systematize things so that's how like in this world how i'm juggling it because a lot of times i'll have something and you know obviously her being a treasurer she's really big into excel so over the past year or so, I really dove into Excel and understanding the formulas, understanding the structures of what Excel could really do. So now I've been putting everything in Excel and from Excel, prime example, what I use Excel for, which most people may not use Excel for, is I'll take, and this is like a, a jewel that I'm going to give away right now. I take bits of content, right? Whether I'm writing a book, whether I'm, I'm scripting a podcast, whether I'm talking about posts, and I'll make columns for this content. And then I'll make columns for additional information for like my book club. I have the books. I have quotes from the authors. I have the book description. I have the rankings of the book, the reviews of the book. So I have all these columns of data. And then what I'm doing is I'm creating tabs and I'm running formulas to do variable information of these columns to create new content. So my content looks to be very fresh, but I'm scripting out all my content in this large Excel sheet and then I'm taking it and I'm fragmenting over. So for Twitter, I'm saying, hey, I want you to count the characters in the cell. If the characters in the cell is longer than 250, then it, it shows me that, hey, this is longer than 250, then I can go in and shorten it in the original cell. And then I could have a Facebook, then I could have an Instagram, and then I'm associating each one of these cells to images as well. So when I export out this, this tab, I'm importing it in via CSV with the images, the comments, everything associated to it. So it's like I go from having one piece of content to... 300, 400 pieces of content like that. That's awesome. 
because uh, I've looked at a lot of your stuff and your stuff is always visually uh, amazing and well put together. Even I was looking at some of your books that you have out as an author and everything is well thought out and well put together. And I, and I always say, man, Chanel knows how to get it done. But it's like you said, it's just segmenting and having a system in place. And you've always been a system with this guy, as far as I understand. My next question, the merchandise. Mm-hmm. Are you designing the merchandise yourself or do you have you put together a team? So it's a combination of both. So my I originally wrote a book that had 365 quotes. And it was a book that I was going to release as like a self-empowerment, self-improvement book. And I was like, you know what, scratch that. Instead of me releasing that book as a book, as a tabletop desktop, I then took all the quotes. Like, for example, this one, the affirmation, I, I am fearless. I took all those quotes and I systematized them. I put them into an InDesign document and I pulled in the CSV file and populated the entire document with all these quotes. So the headlines automatically flow to gray. The titles automatically flow to white, aerial, and they automatically force justified. And then I exported those out. So I had 365 designs like that overnight. Like that. Wow. That's very clever. <laughs> yeah, just like that. So to your point, I mean, now I'm started like I just did a graffiti piece last night just playing around. I may make one-off pieces like as I like my downtime if I'm drawing something or whatever. But for like all my pieces that I have in my storefront right now, they're all from like different quotes, different statements that I've been collecting in, in, a, in an Excel spreadsheet. And I was just figuring out what's well, the fastest. But I mean, obviously, if you want to create these things, if you want to create one design, it may take you 15 minutes to an hour. Well, I'm doing 365 of them, which that's 365 hours that I'm not willing to, <laughs> to sit down to create this. So I had to systematize it. Exactly. Wow. That's, that really shows how systems can push or propel something forward in a, in a short period of time. Because when I look at your, your, your branding and your merchandise, it's, it's really amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And the thing is, I'm not even like marketing that stuff right now. I mean, it's just kind of like, it's all part of, like my focus is I want to help people and, and understand by giving, you're going to get in return. So that's already sitting up there. That's already there. So as I post a sprinkle here and there, and you know, as I get more systems to place, like my next system I'm working on is like video systems. And there's a um, particular plugin that I have access to that allows me to create a video. Like I could have this video on YouTube and it'll be a little dot right here and a little dot right here. And it, while this video is talking, you can click on the dot and make a purchase live. So that, that's the next part of like, oh, wow. yeah. So like this shirt would have like a little dot and while you watch the video, like, oh, what's this little dot? pops up and it'll show you the product and it'll show you the price. And while you're watching the video, you can hit buy now. So that, like, that's the next thing. So to my point, I, I like to create systems that I know what the benefits are. And I'm not about a short-term game. I'm about the long-term game. So I'm thinking about, okay, obviously you make money now. You have to live, you have to survive. But I'm thinking about, okay, once all these connections of all these dots come together, that's when the, the, yes. the monopoly would then expand infinitely. So I'm creating content now yes. that I may see benefits for two, three years from now. I'm getting paid in the journey, but two, three years from now, I may make a million dollars off my shirts. Exactly. Exactly. So it's the process you're trusting and the putting together, putting things together. Yeah. And that's one of the most, the biggest part of business is trusting the process and putting systems in place to succeed. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I mean, if you, you got no other questions, man. I mean, this is why I, as soon as you got another one. One more question. Go for it. Your favorite book. Wow. My What's your favorite, favorite book? Believe it or not, my favorite book of all time is Sun Tzu, The Art of War. 
Point blank, period. You know what? I forgot all about that. That is really a good one. You know what? It's his observations. Observations are extremely important. Paying attention to the twists and turns of life mm-hmm. and what you can benefit from observation, it'll take you to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that book is kind of like the the strategy Bible, right? And it, it, it obviously, it's, it's kind of like Shakespearean. When you read the original version, it's like trying to translate Shakespeare from, from like an Asian culture. But like, there's so many variables of that book and there's so many breakdowns. It's kind of like the Bible. The Bible had like 35,000 different versions of it. Art of War, there's 35 different versions and rewrites and everything else to it. But the bottom line period is, is 13 chapters that kind of depict business strategies that are coming from war Correct. strategies, right? Like the divide and conquer. I mean, pe- divide and conquer is not necessarily a negative thing. It's kind of, you can look at divide and conquer no. as I'm dividing and conquering my time. I don't want to spend exactly. all this different time on one thing. So how do I divide that time up? I'm going to outsource. It's the same principle. I'm dividing and conquering, but I'm doing it in a positive way. Correct. Correct. Because mm. time, to be honest, that, that's the only thing that you can't buy back is time. So you get you have to be able to rightly divide it and use it to your benefit. Because if you're not, if if you're not, if you're not using it for your benefit, it'll go to your detriment. It's one or the other. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's two sides of the same coin. Yeah. It's all energy. It's yeah, just you're how right we about use that. it. You're right about that, man. But I, I definitely appreciate you taking time out of uh, your morning schedule, man, to, to get on the podcast. I mean, I've been wanting to get you on the show for, for a minute. So I'm happy that, you know, you finally stepped up to the plate and came on the mic and burned it down, man. <laughs> no, man, I appreciate you having me. Thanks for having me. Great, man. S.A. Grant, over and out. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 762- 233-BOSS. That's 762-233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.